to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. What up, peeps? And welcome to a very special Easter episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Julie Graham. And I'm Darlene Brock, and I cannot believe you just said, what up, peeps? I was hoping you would say, I'm happy to be here, but that's just not how you roll. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. Are you happy to be here? Uh, <laughs> no. I, I am thrilled, Julie. <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be a fun one. Oh, goodness. Well, what is your favorite part of Easter, since we're just jumping right in and all things mm. Easter? Okay. Well, I mean, I have to put aside, of course, we're celebrating Easter for the reason of our faith, but let me just add... You know, nothing like Easter chocolate. You know I love chocolate anytime. And when the girls were little, I got to steal it out of their Easter basket. Do you still make them Easter baskets? I feel like you would, actually. Um, I I did until they were married and had their own children. But if you're together, do you still make them an Easter basket? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I figured you would. In a heartbeat. Um, What do you think my favorite part of Easter is? Besides Jesus, Avi. Yeah, Avi. I would have to say dressing up. Am I right? You are so right. I, I love getting new Easter. Easter shoes and an Easter dress and an Easter bonnet. Oh, I have never seen you in a bonnet. I mean, I don't actually do bonnet, but I do love that some people still wear Easter bonnets. It is the joy of my life on Easter morning. I just, oh, when I see a bonnet, I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. I love dressing up for Easter. I love Easter candy. Um, I actually really love Easter brunch. Mm, Like the big spread. Yeah. Like I want lots of forms of French toast. Uh-huh. And other sweet related breakfast foods and Easter calories don't count. So Monday after Easter, Jesus you're going to be at burn working oh, yes. really hard. Oh, real hard. That's right. Mm-hmm. All about balance. Mm-hmm. Well, because it is Easter, and as we've actually alluded to, Easter is the most important part of our lives as Christian women, we wanted to devote this whole episode to looking at Easter, but maybe not necessarily in the traditional sense or the conversations that maybe you most typically have around Easter. We kind of wanted to look at it from a slightly different angle. You know, Julie, the death and resurrection of Christ is what we will be talking about this weekend, but the life of Christ, in addition to the death and resurrection, is something we have so much we can learn from, life lessons that we think are worth exploring, and we came up with seven of them. Ooh, God's number. I love that. Yeah. So the first lesson is you may prepare a long time before you do what you're supposed to do. Oh, that's the truth, isn't it, Julie? You know that Jesus was on the earth. He was 30 years old before he started his actual ministry of miracles and speaking to the crowds, and that only lasted three years. Yeah, so if you just think about that for an instant, we we know how much of an impact Jesus's life and ministry left on literally history as a whole, but he lived on this earth for 30 years, kind of in the background, quietly obeying God and serving God and loving people in a non-public, big, recognized way. How much that speaks to you and I, who maybe feel like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but the timing hasn't fully revealed itself yet. And then you start to second guess yourself. Well, we can learn from Jesus that the things we're supposed to do 
may still be coming, but that doesn't mean it won't eventually all take place. Yeah, he knew that his life had a plan and that it was going to serve an eternal purpose. But he also understood timing, which I think is something we don't often get, that we think if it's going to happen, it should happen now. And I got to make it happen if it's not happening. Yes. (laughs) And I have to take charge of this scenario. But for him, timing, the right time, was what was important. I think also when you talk about the life and ministry of Jesus, people often think of those last three years of his life when he began his formal ministry. And this ministry word, it's kind of churchy. Maybe you're not even quite sure what that means. Um, when, When we hear the word ministry, it often is referred to someone who is paid to do church work, right? Would you say that's a good summary yeah, of that Yeah, I think that that's word? the assumptive one, but I would argue that a little bit. All right, argue me. Because I think that every person who is a Christian who has a relationship with Christ has a ministry, has a purpose, has something they are supposed to fulfill, whether they're getting paid for the spiritual side of their life or whether they're getting paid for a regular job and the rest just comes as an added bonus. Oh, girl, I could not agree with you more, (laughs) Um, especially as somebody who came from a job in, you know, quote unquote, paid ministry um, to come hang out with you. (laughs) Um, And this is my job now. But you better believe I think of my role at the Grit and Grace Project as my life's ministry. But if I worked at Target, that would also be my life's ministry. Yeah. And I I think Target. (laughs) <laughs> you actually would like that just for the shopping experience, <laughs> the I'm <discount>. sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, but I think that's something that we need to make sure we hold on to is that every single one of us has some purpose in this life. Mm-hmm. Find out what it is and the timing that you're supposed to do it and do it. Yeah, so to really kind of sum up this first lesson, I just want to remind myself <laughs> and you who might be listening and you're kind of in that in-between waiting season, you know God has given you a glimpse of what is to come or you feel called to something. Maybe it's you're called to adoption or you're called to start some form of organization or you know you have a gift or ability that you want to use for God, but the timing just hasn't lined up yet. Remember that Jesus was able to live his life in such a way that he was serving God and yet still waiting for the timing to all line up for when it became obvious to everyone else that God had given him this purpose. Mm, Yeah. Love that. All right. So the second one, Julie, I like this one a lot because I kind of feel this way sometimes. Mm -hmm. You do not have to be an important person to hang with Jesus. Well, I mean, aren't we all important? Well, yeah, we all are important. We all have a purpose, but we don't all feel like that. And other people may not perceive us that way because maybe we're not the president of a company or Mm -hmm. we are not, you know, a political powerhouse or we're not in a leadership role or, you know, important to other people. That doesn't matter to Jesus because he hung around the unimportant people. Yeah. So I think what we're getting at here is you may not be seen in society's eyes as someone of position or power or influence. And yet that didn't matter to Jesus. In fact, he almost shied away from those people, right? He did. They had their own agenda. Yeah, they did. And he kind of didn't have a lot to do with them or just called them out when he had to, like the Pharisees. There were great conversations between them where, you know, they tried to go after him. And yet, you know, he I know he loved them equally, but nevertheless, he just didn't see that their hearts were open and he had other business to take care of. Yeah. I mean, Jesus spent his time with people that 
weren't necessarily, you know, the most popular among society. He hung out with and called to follow him fishermen, and he hung out with the tax collectors, and he was around women, which was really not the norm at the time. And he didn't care if they had a lot of money or if they, you know, made no money. In fact, he actually talked to people who made a lot of money and encouraged them to leave their money in order to follow him. <laughs> it's true. So he really just did everything opposite to what the culture expected him to do. Yep. And we're supposed to do the same thing, right? We are. We Mm. are. The other thing that he didn't do, and this is the third lesson that we've learned, is he didn't avoid messy people, which Mm. would probably be all of us, but (laughs) he didn't avoid those. He wasn't looking for sinless, perfect lives. He was completely comfortable talking and hanging with people who were obviously living in places that were not good. I mean, that sentence right there is so important and bears repeating. Jesus came for messy people. I mean, I'm messy, right? I mean, you know me. (laughs) Just a little bit, Julie. (laughs) And and I think sometimes, even as people in the church, we forget that Jesus came for the ones that knew they needed him, not the ones that thought they had it all together. Yeah, he absolutely did. And that does include every one of us. Um, But at the same time, if you are know someone who is living in a place where you know it's hurting them, it's not what God would choose, don't ignore them. Jesus didn't. Don't turn your back on them. Jesus didn't. Love them. He did. That's what we're supposed to do. One of my favorite stories from the Gospels is a fairly well-known story of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, because mm-hmm. it was a big deal that he even spoke to a woman. Oh, and was. her position and the the community knew that she had a messy past and that she had had multiple husbands and people did not want to talk to her because of it, but not Jesus. You can actually read this story for yourself. It's in John chapter four, but that's so like him and so who we are supposed to be like. The next lesson that we wanted to um, talk about is something that I think all of us, me, this one matters to me. We are fully known and we're loved even when we fail. I mean, Jesus did that so many times with so many people he walked with. I think the very beginning of their relationship where he changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter when he first met him, when he first got to know him, because he knew what was coming. Yeah, Peter's name actually means the rock. So that's why he changed his name to Peter. Um, But if you look at Peter's life, you would think, well, he was anything but steady and rock-like. He was so almost flaky, which... Of course he was, because I am. And I need to be able to look at the life of someone who Jesus obviously loved and trusted and showed repeated forgiveness and grace to, to know that that's how he sees me as well. I'm going to fail Jesus regularly in my relationship with him. And yet the way he looks at me never changes. Yeah. And you think you're going to stand by your faith or you're going to stand by your God no matter what. And Peter's a great example of, uh, you know what, you may not. When you know Christ was taken from the garden and Peter started his hiding out, he was told in advance this was going to happen. And he denied Jesus three times mm-hmm. after he had walked the earth with him for three years. Mm-hmm. But he said, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And Jesus knew it was coming. Of course he knew it was coming. And I love in their relationship how after Jesus died and then rose again three days later, he sought Peter out. 
He made sure to go and get alone with Peter and reaffirm his love for him. And and I love whenever I read that, it's actually in John 21. So after Jesus has died and resurrected, he comes to Peter and gives Peter three opportunities to reaffirm his love for him. And you can almost tell as you're reading it that Peter's annoyed, like, no, Jesus, come on, you know I love you. Why, why do you keep asking me? And I remember one of the times I read this, it's like God said to me, I gave him three opportunities to reaffirm his love because he denied me three times. And it, to me, reminds me that God always sees every mistake, but every mistake he covers with his love for me and then gives me an opportunity to show my love for him back. Mm, I do love that. And Julie, I know you know this, but there was a season in my life that I did absolutely deny Christ by my very action. You know, I I met the Lord at a young age and and knew knew his word, knew knew him, and then decided it was too confining for me. It was too the rules were too much. The lifestyle was something I just didn't want to meet. And so I turned my back on him for several years and went another way. And what is so amazing is he didn't yell at me during that time. He didn't beat on me during that time. He wooed me back. Mm. He gave me every reason in the world to want to come back and share my life with him and put him back in the position that he should have been all along. So, you know, that's a real personal story to me. And it, and I think it applies to everyone. So maybe on this list of seven lessons, this might be probably both of our favorites, that we are fully known and fully loved even when we fail. Well, let's go on to maybe our second favorite of this <laughs> list of lessons we're learning from Jesus's life and death. It's that women are important to Jesus. Absolutely. You know I'm a big believer mm-hmm. in that. And there is biblical evidence for that. Mm-hmm. They were among the followers of Christ. They lived life with him. Mm-hmm. When women didn't live life with men in their culture, they were removed from them. They had their place they were supposed to be but it was not hanging around with the men, but that wasn't true with Jesus. No, yeah. There's account after account after account of Jesus making a point to see a woman in the crowd or to speak to a woman, like like we mentioned, even with a Samaritan woman. But it was Mary and Martha were the first to actually see Jesus alive again. I mean, that is huge. Yeah. They were the first two people. Julie, maybe it was because we talk more. <laughs> they knew they he, he knew that they would get the message out faster. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it was, okay, it'll spread more rapidly that I'm alive <laughs> if I tell women first. I don't know. Oh, you're taking some serious liberties there, but yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. go with it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that's scripturally sound. Okay, folks. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, we see that in Jesus's entire life and ministry, that he did not discount women. And I think that you know, culturally, this is this is such a big deal right now, the fact that women need to be given greater importance and greater attention. But Jesus has always given women equality and attention and love and respect. And that's part of the reason we wanted to create a place for women to know and believe that they're strong, because Jesus has always seen that in the female gender. Yeah, he created us, and he created us with a nature and a purpose that is uniquely ours. And I believe with all my heart that it's real obvious in his life that he really loved that nature and he really appreciated that purpose that is part of his creation. You wrote an article, and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes, um, 
kind of unpacking this concept more. It's called This Is What Jesus Says About Equality for Women. And so if you haven't read that one yet, I definitely would encourage you to take a few minutes to read that one by Darlene, because culturally women need to know that they're not just getting their value from the current you know, political movement of female empowerment, but that Jesus has always seen that in us. And we should walk in the confidence that he affords us. You know, Julie, the next lesson that we pulled is about purpose, that we may have a purpose in life, but other people don't understand it, or they misinterpret it, or they think that we are wrong. Well, that was so true of Jesus as well. His purpose for coming to this world was um, interpreted by other people completely wrong. And there are going to be times in our lives where we know that God has given us a purpose, and the people around us, they don't see it. Or maybe they see it, but they expect you to carry it out in a different way than God has told you to. I think the first expectations people had for him was that he was going to become politically powerful. When he uh, rode in on Palm Sunday, which we just celebrated last weekend, they thought, all right, he is going to take over. He Mm -hmm. is going to lead us. He is going to defeat the Romans. He is going to rise up and make our lives better. Well, and yes, I mean, that was a legitimate need. The people of the day, they wanted Jesus to be their political rescuer. And it's understandable. There's nothing wrong with them wanting that. They were being oppressed and they had been waiting years for someone to come and redeem them. And they always thought the, the Messiah would do that. But that's not what Jesus came to do. It's not. And I think when you find yourself in a position where you know what you're supposed to do, but someone else misinterprets it, that they see it differently. I think sometimes we need to look at their why. Why did they see it differently? Not just go, you're wrong. You you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But instead say, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand why you would want me to do what you think I should do, and not just write it off. Yeah. So hearing their need and maybe even legitimizing or, you know, sympathizing with that need, but still being confident and knowing what God has called you to, that can be so hard. And yet we can see it in the life of Jesus. He still loved those who wanted him to follow their way. And he still showed compassion for the crowd who worshiped him one second and then threw stones the next week. And yet he remained purposefully set on the things that God called him to. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson for us, Julie, because it's easy for us to kind of blow other people off and say, you know, you're wrong, I'm right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not right. He didn't do that at all. He just stayed the course and he understood where they were coming from. The other thing that I think we learned from this example of Jesus is he saw their need to be rescued politically. And that was a legitimate need. And he loved them and cared about that, but he didn't change his purpose in order to meet that need. He recognized that he came for a greater need. And the more important long-term eternal needs of the people was for him to go and to die on the cross. And so, so we're going to face situations, obviously not on the scale of Jesus, no, right? Not at all. <laughs> like I am never going to be the rescuer. That is the purpose of Easter and the gospel. But there will be people in my life who recognize a talent I have and see that I may be able to fulfill a purpose that would glorify God. And yet it may not be the specific purpose that God has called me to in this season. And I could be swayed to want to 
go the way that people I love and respect and have done life with want me to go. And that actually be the wrong thing because God has called me to something else in this season. Yeah. And I think the ultimate goal of everyone, including the people who wanted to be rescued, they just didn't realize that they needed the bigger rescue. That's right. Their goal and purpose wasn't bad. It was good. And I think when we look at other people that want to interpret how we fulfill our purpose or what our purpose looks like, we need to often recognize that what they want is the same thing that we want. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't agree on how we're supposed to do it or how we're supposed to get there. And that's okay, because at the end of the day, we do what we're supposed to and what we're called to do and trust that God will bring us all back together at some point, understanding that we're achieving the same goal. Absolutely. That is definitely a a really important and beautiful and hard lesson from the life of Jesus. You know, the other one that really attacked him were the religious leaders, Julie, the ones that their biggest fear was that their power would be taken away. And they're, you know, where there's some people who are just looking for the right reasons for something to change in their life. There are also people who have all the wrong reasons. They want to stop the purpose. They want to defeat you and what you're supposed to do because you're um, causing them problems or they think you're going to cause them problems. So I think the takeaway for this lesson is regardless of whether or not you feel like there's a negative response to the thing you're called to in this season, or there's just a misunderstanding among people who are living life next to you and they don't really get where you're going or why you're going there. You remain focused on the thing that you're called to, knowing that ultimately you answer to God. I think the last lesson that we want to take away with is probably the most important and the one we'll be celebrating this weekend, and that is life is very often darkest before the dawn which was definitely true in the life of Christ. Because he went from a three-year ministry of miracles and friendship and relationships to being imprisoned and being beaten and being killed. In the most shameful way available to society at the time. Yeah. And then when he actually died on the cross, there was this moment of, really? That was it? That was it? Like, this is how it all ends? Yeah. But we know from the story of the Bible and from the very cornerstone of our faith, that that was not the end. He, in fact, defeated death by resurrecting three days later, confirming that we have eternal life in him. And so, yeah, that is a huge lesson for our grit and grace life, that sometimes those deepest, darkest, hardest parts are the thing that will get us to the next great thing in our lives. Yeah. And that does not diminish the emotions that happen during the deepest, darkest part of life. You know, think about what the the followers of Christ were going through in that short window of time. To us, it's a short window of time, but it had to have been the longest days of their lives. Right. The despair. The despair, the hopelessness, the... Embarrassment. Yeah. And can you imagine? I mean, I know I would be thinking, what did I just get myself into? And where is he? And he loved us and he's gone. And and here we are. What are we going to do? Yeah. Totally. And I know I feel that way sometimes when things go completely upside down in my life where I thought... Life was going to go one way, and then all of a sudden, it's completely different. And I've felt those moments of despair, and where do I turn now? And is this all real? Is my faith real? But those are the moments that really are the definitions of our faith, when we can hold on and continue to trust God, even when it seems like 
everything has been lost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no way to turn it around. That's when God shows up in his brightest and shows the most glory for himself. And we have to put our full confidence and faith in the fact that only he can act to make this thing, whatever it is, good. That is literally the Easter story. It is. And the resurrection, the fact that he was dead and then he lived again, is for us the ultimate hope. It's the ultimate answer to our darkest hours. Even if our darkest hours become days and weeks and months and years, we have the hope of resurrection. We have the hope of life with him after this life, and he's the one that provided it. Well, so of course, these are not all of the lessons that we can take from Jesus's life and death. That's actually the good news of being a Christian. We were always going to be learning from the life Mm -hmm. and death of Jesus. That is part of the reason we're still here. We've got more to learn, more life to live with him and for him. But I do hope as you go into this Easter weekend, the pinnacle of our faith as Christians, celebrating the good news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that these lessons will be things that you're pondering. And not just today, but pondering as you continue to walk your grit and grace life every single day, looking to pattern your life after Jesus. Julie, I think this week's quote has to come from Jesus. So we uh, went to John the 10th chapter, starting in the 17th verse. The Father has an intense love for me because I freely give my own life to raise it up again. This is the destiny my Father has set before me. Well, that's what we're celebrating this week, and we wish you a very happy Easter from all of us at the Grit and Grace Project. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project online magazine. Whether you're listening in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or streaming the show, be sure to take a couple moments to subscribe, rate, and review so you never miss the next episode. You can also share the show with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us. Every week we share all the details on everything we discuss in the episode at thegritandgraceproject.org. We'll catch you on the next one.